Welcome to the Startup Grind podcast. Startup Grind is the world's largest startup community, inspiring, educating, and connecting millions of entrepreneurs across the globe. These are the stories of disruptors, innovators, and game changers from the fastest high growth companies and venture capital firms in existence. Join us as we unpack their strategies, learn from their mistakes, and grow together. There is no time to wait, so let's begin. Hey all, welcome back, Startup Grind Global Podcast. This is Chris Jonu. And today, before we dive into uh, our episode, I did want to mention a great opportunity from our sponsor at Render Capital in Louisville, Kentucky. Are you a startup founder who could use $100,000? Answer's probably yes. If so, Render Capital wants you to apply for their 2021 Render Competition. The Render Competition invests $100,000 into eight early-stage startups each year to help them scale their solution and attract future investment. Your startup should be one of those startups. Anyone is welcome to apply. Applications are now open, and the deadline is May 6th. So not too far away. So jump on now and learn more about the Render competition. Uh, that is at render.capital slash competition slash startup grind. I also have um, a direct link in the notes, but that's render.capital slash competition slash startup grind. Check it out. In today's episode, we have Matt Cooper, CEO of Skillshare, this incredible online marketplace for creative learning, if you're not familiar with it. And they're on a mission to connect lifelong learners everywhere and build a more creative and prosperous world. The reason I include that is because I have not come across a guest that was more well-aligned with their mission than Matt Cooper. You can just feel it. He really cares about this. He lives and breathes it, and uh, he wants it to you know, resonate in the culture, um, be known in the creative community, and, and I really love that. Um, and prior to joining Skillshare, he was the CEO of Visually, an online marketplace for creative work that was acquired by Scribble Live. Prior to Visually, he was the VP of Operations Enterprise and International for Odesk, now Upwork, the world's largest marketplace for online work. So no stranger to marketplaces. And I do want to include you know, the part in his bio where he mentions, I'm the father of four amazing girls and spend most of my non-working hours driving them around in circles to various activities. I can feel you, Matt. And I do love when people put their family in the bio. Why not? You can do it. It makes you human. I um, hope you get as much out of this interview as I did. Enjoy. Welcome, Matt. How you doing, buddy? Good. Thanks for having me. I'm um, very excited to speak with you today. Um, firstly, because I love Skillshare. Um, and um, and what I love about it, you know, before we jump into your story and, and all that, it's just the how kind of, um, uh, I guess, consumable the content is, right? It's just, um, I mean, uh, you know, I've got, I've got courses on other platforms. I'm not going to lie to you, Matt, but they're all, they're all half finished, right? Yeah. Or, or, yep. or, or not, haven't been finished at all. And, um, and what I love is Skillshare just kind of cuts the fluff out and gets to what needs to be done. And, and I enjoy, I enjoy it. I actually even blogged about it. Um, That's great to hear. Thank you. So I'll, I'll go back a little bit and I always start with a question uh, as um, was there a mother or father that was an entrepreneur? 
Um, no, you know, my, my father was in sales. So I guess, uh, you know, there's certainly an entrepreneurial aspect of, of being in sales. Um, when I ended up uh, running my first sales team, he told me, uh, just remember they put a target on your back and it doesn't come off until somebody puts a bullet through it. So uh, uh, I guess <laughs> the, you know, the, <laughs> the pressure that comes along with being a quota carrying salesperson uh, is not unlike uh, trying to build a business and it sort of flies or dies. So um, not necessarily uh, entrepreneur in the traditional sense, but uh, certainly that, that angle to it. Well, yeah. And some, some tough advice from dad. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and then, and then what was, yeah. And I know I can kind of feel the pain. Most of my, my, my work is in BD and um, you know, COVID adds definitely a level of complexity to that at the moment, but, um, and, and then what was the education? Yeah. So I, uh, I went to Vanderbilt university in, in Nashville um, did uh, econ undergrad and then did finance and accounting uh, in grad school. So I uh, was sort of, you know, preparing for uh, a general business um, future, but then ended up going into investment banking right out of school. Yeah. So I saw that JP Morgan, um, dad's dreams come true. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I, at least I could afford to pay my uh, student loans at that point. Exactly. Exactly. And then, but, but it was kind of, um, you know, with a, a technology twist on it, right? Yeah. So I, I was in uh, JP Morgan's telecom media and technology group. Um, uh, so did a lot of telecom, uh, a lot of big media. Um, and, you know, I think investment banking, kind of like consulting, it's one of those, it's just a great first job because you learn so much in a short period of time. And granted when you're working 80, 90 hour weeks, it's kind of hard not to, but um uh, yeah, you get just a, you see a lot of things very early and uh, you get a lot of exposure and, and rigor. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, they, they, uh, we own you. We own you. <laughs> we own you. Yeah, no, they did. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and then, so how do you, how do you end up in, in the Bay? Yeah. So my, uh, I was dating uh, my then girlfriend, now wife, long distance. She was leaving, but she was finishing up business school. So it was either go to New York with my job and sort of uh, officially sell my soul to banking, uh, or she had an offer in the Bay Area with Hewlett Packard. Um, so I would then, you know, quit my job and go out there with her. And after four years of 80-hour weeks, quitting my job and going out there with her sounded like a hell of a lot more fun. So um, I got out there and being an unemployed telecom banker in the Bay Area in 2002. Um, was not exactly a position of strength. Uh, so after being unemployed for nine months, uh, I finally connected with a guy. Actually, I think we, I think we met through Craigslist of all places, just to tell you how bad it was. Um, and uh, we started doing some consulting uh, for startups, and then ended up raising like a small kind of seed fund. Uh, and so he and I would, uh, you know, put some money in, and then sort of come in as an interim management team. Uh, and I ended up sort of realizing I liked one of my clients' businesses better than my business and ended up joining. That was kind of my first official tech startup, uh, I guess, in 2004. Right. And, and what, what was that company? Yeah, so the company was uh, named Acolo, A-C-C-O-L-O. And we did uh, sort of a, uh, the precursor to recruitment process out outsourcing. So we would become the internal recruiting function for small mid-sized companies, particularly a lot of Bay Area venture-backed companies. 
so we just had a great run from 2004 to 2007, 2008. <laughs> the, uh, the mortgage crisis hit and being uh, um, selling recruiting services to venture-backed startups all of a sudden was not, not really a hot market. We saw our business kind of evaporate overnight. Um, I remember very distinctly when that Sequoia deck, the RIP Good Times um, deck got circulated. I think it made it around the valley in about 15 minutes. And as I was looking through their slides, uh, my phone started ringing and it was people canceling their contracts and saying, don't even bother to collect because we're not paying. Um, so that was, uh, uh, it was, I guess, unfortunate in lots of ways, but fortunate in that um, I ended up leaving and going to what was then Odesk, now Upwork, uh, big freelancer marketplace business. And I was employee number 23 there. So got in early and just kind of had a magical five-year run there um, from 2009 to uh, 2014. Yeah. And and then so, um, and by this stage, I'm guessing you kind of hooked on, you know, all things startup and and can you just, you know, um, we're definitely going to speak mostly about Skillshare, but can you just share a little bit around your learning with, I guess, the, um, you know, the scale that you would have been going through while at, yeah. you know, Upwork? Yeah, I mean, it was my first taste of a two-sided marketplace model, mm -hmm. um, you know, which are notoriously hard to get sort of that flywheel spinning. And I think everybody wants to start a marketplace until they've started a marketplace. Um but it's hard. And, you know, I think getting that chicken and egg dynamic spinning in the right direction is difficult. Um, and just to see, though, what happens when you really get it working. I mean, there was sort of a joke there for a couple of years of, you know, like people would say, what are you doing to drive growth? And it's like, we're just trying to stay out of the way because um, mm. the model was just so good at its core um, that, you know, it made life a hell of a lot easier. Now, granted, it wasn't very easy in the early days, but um yeah, so I got to see that two-sided dynamics and trying to balance supply and demand. And, you know, when you're trying to serve two masters of both the supply and the demand side, it, it's hard, you know, and you're always trying to find the happy medium between the two so that both sides of the marketplace are getting what they need and what they want and you're delivering the right value. Um, and then just a ton of great management lessons from just seeing how we evolved and grew, how the executive team changed over time. Uh, we went through uh, the acquisition of Elance, which was our largest competitor. Uh, so I got to see that firsthand and, and go through that process. Um, so by the time I left in 2014, I, I went to be the, the CEO of Visually, which was a similar freelancer-driven model, but focused on, on creatives and creative content. Um, I just, you know, I felt like I'd almost had sort of the, the CEO general manager training program because I had sat in so many different seats and, and just had a chance to see so many different sides of the business. Yeah. And then, so uh, again, was, so this was, you know, I'm now cheating a little bit cause I'm on your, uh, your LinkedIn, but this was, um, there's a pretty big task in visually in turning that company around. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, the, the joke at the time was, you know, do I want to be the CEO of any company willing to make me CEO? And uh, it, uh, it did not disappoint. Um, you know, it was it was a tough model. I think they, you know, in hindsight, I would have done a lot of things differently. But the business was kind of stuck between being a kind of a, a managed service and being a true marketplace. Mm -hmm. And either model can work and can be just fine. It just we were we never really declared a major, and that lack of focus made it really hard. Um, and so, you know, as we got into as I sort of 
got comfortable and you know sort of got my bearings we didn't have a whole lot of time we didn't have a whole lot of money and we had some pretty significant sort of product market fit challenges to address and um you know we uh, we had a fair amount of turnover to get the right team in place um and you know but we got it cleaned up and i think we got things back on track and then it was either raise more money or sell uh and we ended up deciding to uh to sell uh to a, a software company out of toronto that was investing and in, in buying a lot of companies kind of in and around the content marketing space uh so that was 2016 and i stuck around uh through the integration and then uh left to join skillshare in uh november 2016 originally as the coo and then took on the ceo role about a year later Right. And then so by this time, you know, super familiar with marketplaces and, and, and now, um, you know, creative freelancers, creative services. And then what kind of got you excited about Skillshare? Yeah, I mean, there were kind of three things. Um, and, and when I sat down to kind of figure out what I wanted next, you know, this when I saw Skillshare, when I had my first conversation with Michael, the founder, it was just dead on. Um, you know, I was looking, I love marketplace businesses for all the reasons we've talked about. Um, they're hard, but they're a lot of fun. And when they work, you know, it's just an unbelievable business model. Um, the stage that we were at, um, at the time, you know, we were probably 30, 35 employees. We were about a $6 million run rate. Um, it just, you know, they were running into, they'd, they'd established product market fit, but now it's how do you grow and scale and do it efficiently and effectively and quickly. Um, so it felt like they had problems where I had relevant uh, experience and could really help um, and drive a lot of impact. And then, you know, the final thing was the the social impact component. I mean, you know, just your your opening about you know your experience with Skillshare and um, just what people get out of it. And you hear the stories. It's a business that it's just really easy to wake up in the morning and feel really really good about what you do and who you serve and the value that people get from your your platform uh, and on both sides. Our teachers make a living sharing the expertise that they've developed over years. And the students are, they find inspiration and personal fulfillment in addition to professional acceleration. So it's uh, it's just kind of a, I had a, a taste of that at Odesk. Um, I ran international for a while and I would travel abroad and I'd speak at, you know, in sort of these more freelancer focused countries like India and, and Philippines and Bangladesh. And um, uh, I, I've spoken at a conference in Bangladesh and they, I, they had to give me a security detail. I mean, I was signing autographs, people are taking pictures, people are handing me the keys of the, of the car that they bought with their Skillshare earn, or their uh, Odesk earnings. So I had a taste of that social impact at Odesk and that was something I really wanted to get back to uh, when I went to Skillshare. Right. And then, um, and then, so can you just talk a little bit about the kind of the evolution of, of, of Skillshare? I mean, I kind of figured that some of the growth would have been had to do with some of these kind of celebrities, for lack of a better term, that have, that have kind of um, lent themselves to the platform. Is that right? Like, from memory? Yeah, I mean, we, yeah, I, mean I think, you know, our growth over the last couple of years, I mean, it's funny, you, you kind of think of our growth in, in stages. I mean, the first couple of years, back to that chicken and egg dynamic, in the early days of any marketplace, you got to fake the chicken for a while, right? So, uh, and that's a Gary Swart quote from uh, the former CEO of Odesk. So I'm, I want to give him credit for when I rip off his phrases. But, um, you know, we faked the chicken by just manually dragging teachers onto the platform from 
you know, 2014, 15, 16. Uh, and as we built that supply side, those teachers would bring students with them. Some percentage would engage, retain, convert, et cetera. And that's how we were growing both supply and demand. 2017, after I joined, we really, you know, that, that supply-driven growth approach was starting to flatline a bit. So we needed to figure out, you know, the demand side of the equation. So we started um, experimenting, in, experimenting in a lot of channels, uh, but particularly influencer marketing. And we just got really, really good at influencer marketing, particularly on um, YouTube and Instagram. Uh, and so we've done all the traditional, you know, paid acquisition channels, but those were the big ones for us. Um, and then in you know, 2019 and, and going into 2020, we really started to shift our focus toward brand, um, brand and organic, um, and to some degree content. Like to your point, um, you know, we most of our content, 99% of our content comes from our community teachers. Anyone can come in and teach on Skillshare as long as they follow our guidelines, you know, meet our standards. Um, but we do produce four to five what we call Skillshare originals every month. And so we have a production team that shoots those classes. And so that combination of having our depth and breadth and vibrancy and freshness of content coming from that community of 13,000 teachers who are looking for what's hot and what's new and what's interesting and their own take on common topics, you know, the depth and breadth we get from that versus kind of that tent pole content we get from our originals that's a really powerful combination for us. Um, and so that, you know, the content side, and I think that as we get into the originals and you have influencers and now those two things are starting to blend. So, yeah, I mean, I think we are starting to get a lot more brand lift and, and we're getting a lot more interest inbound from bigger name teachers and bigger name celebrities who want to teach on our platform, which, um, you know, that's certainly a nice recognition of, of the brand that we've built over the last couple of years. Yeah, I think that the originals is, is exactly what I was thinking because you've got like, you know, Guy Kawasaki teaching business and Simon Sinek, you know, and and, and uh, Gary Vee and, and all these kind of celebrities. And, and then did that, was that original content part of the, part of your growth over the last few years? Yeah, I mean, it definitely has. I mean, as you would expect, with a relatively small number of originals, we get a lot of engagement, we get a lot of conversion, we get a lot of brand equity and it makes makes our teachers want to teach on the platform. I mean, you know, I think one of the shifts that we've made, a lot of the teachers that that you mentioned were, you know, sort of legacy, kind of some of our early originals teachers. We made the decision in, uh, I guess, sort of early to mid 2019 to really focus in on creative as our core. Um, you know, the mar our, our marketplace and our community just organically evolved to have more of a creative focus over the years. And, and in 2019, you know, we, I had actually been pushing us to do more in business and tech. Um, mm -hmm. And what we realized is we could certainly compete in business and tech, but we could be the best in the world at creative. Uh, and so we really shifted our focus. We did a big brand relaunch in 2020, all centering around that creative community, that creative content, the creative skill sets, creative technologies. Um, so that's been our renewed focus. And yeah, I, I'm sure you you hear and you talk about this all the time, but for every startup, the challenge is what are you not going to do? Um, yep. And it's hard to walk away from business and tech and data science and all of these other topics that are you know, hot and have huge markets. But we just knew we could own and dominate and be the best in the world at creative. And um, as we looked at the size of the creative market, 
you know, Adobe and Etsy and Shutterstock, they seem to have built nice little businesses focused on creative or Canva, you know, in your neck of the woods. Um, so it's, um, yeah, that was a big shift for us, but I think everything about our product, our community, our content, our messaging, everything got tighter once we really focused in on creative as our core. Can you talk about some of like the, the technical things you did to kind of, I guess, solidify that positioning and kind of, you know, narrow down on the creative side of things? Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I think from a product perspective, we had sort of evolved that way already. You know, we were investing into what was working and creative was what was working, you know? So I think the the nature of our content leads itself, just the, the video-based model um, kind of lends itself to creative. It's just more interesting to learn a painting class on an asynchronous video-based lesson than maybe data science or coding. Um, so a lot of our products had already just naturally um, evolved that way. Uh, but I think a lot, you know, there were some things we did around the taxonomy of just how we talk about our content, how we structure um, uh, the the library. Um, but then, you know, a lot of it was around brand and positioning. And, you know, I think prior to that shift, you might hear an influencer say, hey, go to Skillshare. You can learn everything from, you know, blockchain to investing 101 to graphic design. And we would certainly get people who came in and we had blockchain classes and we had, um, you know, the, the had, we had those classes. We just didn't have a lot of depth. So they would come in, they'd convert, they'd find a couple of classes they'd like, but they just didn't stick around very long. Whereas if you're interested in design, illustration, photography, interior decorating, um, animation, crafts, culinary, you could spend a lifetime on Skillshare. Um, so I think it's, you know, again, back to sort of basic startup lessons, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Um, and we could certainly acquire customers in those categories, but it just wasn't the optimal, you know, sort of best and highest use of our time and resources. Yeah, it seems like almost just by focusing on on the creatives, you're going to kind of bump up the quality of the video anyway, right? Like everyone's right. kind of, um, yeah. and then you've got this, you know, almost you kind of, um, uh, enhancing that position with how you've done the originals too right so i kind of look at the site and i'm like you know super kind of you know graphic overlays and very creative kind of uh scene you know backdrops and stuff to um all kind of visually um enhance what you wait the direction you headed yeah and that's you know i think the back to that kind of interesting dynamic between originals and community content you know the originals you know that's our view of what ideal content looks like. Yeah. Um, so we have a lot of teachers who follow our lead and it sort of brings up the overall quality level. Um, but then what's really interesting is you see teachers experimenting with their own their own versions, their own takes and their own approach. And, and you know, we watch that too. And we, we learn as much from the community as they learn from us. And, um, you know, if we were in a, in a pure kind of old school in-house production model, we just, you know, we would never think of the things that they come up with, whether it's the topics or, you know, um, their approach, the technique, like we just could never keep up. So that, you know, the beauty and the power of that open platform is really significant in a business like ours. And then, and then you know, switching, switching gears, I guess, for a second and, you know, um, you know, the state of the world, right? And, and all the craziness that's going on, um, I can only assume it's been, 
beneficial to Skillshare, right? And you've probably seen some, I'm guessing, you know, gigantic yeah. bumps. Yeah, people wanting to, now's the time to learn that skill. Now's the time to do this or this kind of working from home. Can you talk a little bit about um, the challenges you've faced in like the last six months, a year, and how that kind of, um, um, I guess, uh, translates to the, to the future of work, I suppose? Yeah. Yeah, it's been, I mean, it's interesting. Like today, I'm literally on March 16th of last year is when our numbers just all of a sudden went through the roof. Um, you know, we were having a pretty good year. And then as the stay-at-home orders started to roll out in force, um, you know, the traffic really started to spike, you know, one year ago today. Um, and then, you know, it, all hell broke loose. I mean, we were seeing 4X, the normal daily volume, 4X, the engagement rates. And even, you know, we were looking at like market level data, even in Italy during the absolute peak of, of their, uh, of their lockdown, the numbers were just sky high. Um, and, you know, when you look at the content, some of it was, Hey, I'm stuck at home, time to invest, you know, I'm going to work on that career shift or getting that promotion. But a lot of it was personal. A lot of it was, I am scared to death. I've got anxieties galore. I need something to do other than binge watch Netflix. Yeah. Um, and we we saw a lot of the content that had a self-help, personal development, anxiety relief, stress relief angle to it, um, saw you know a, a greater increase in engagement than what we saw across the board. So you, it was kind of fascinating to see just what was going on in people's heads based on the content that they were consuming and, and how they were engaging with the Skillshare community because the content's one piece, but you know, when you take a class, you upload a project, you get feedback from teachers, you get feedback from other students, you can join workshops, you can attend live sessions. So we tried to, you know, it was just interesting to see how people were coming to us to find community that they weren't necessarily getting face-to-face -face anymore. Well, that's fantastic, right? Like, I mean, you talked about social impact and just to understand that you can you kind of, could have played a big role in, you know, helping people, um, you know, get through tough periods is great, right? And then I think you almost had this, you know, um, I did anyway. <laughs> You're joining me from your from your basement. I mean, this kind of, you know, what's you know what's life about? What's important? And hopefully that led to a lot of you know creative entrepreneurship as well. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, we we made the decision to become a you know a, a remote first company. Our office was up for uh, up for renewal in December, and we let it lapse. And um, you know, I, I mean, I've never seen my kids so much. Now, granted, two months into the pandemic, they were wishing I'd go back to work, but they've gotten used to me now. Um, but uh, I, you know, I think the I love being at work. I hated getting to work. Um, yeah. And the idea of spending three hours in the loving embrace of New Jersey transit and going in and out of Penn station twice a day, like, no, thanks. Like I, you know, I, I was able to drive my kid to volleyball and, you know, like I coached basketball this year, like it never would have happened if this pandemic hadn't come along. So, I mean, obviously this isn't anything we would wish on anyone, but it did bring a lot of things into focus for us as people, but certainly as us, you know, us as employers of of people who we want to live a full life and then and then you know on on that topic have there been some 
you know, some stories you're particularly proud of coming through the platform around, you know, what Skillshare did for, for, for people over the last um, year or so? Yeah, I mean, the, again, this is sort of the beauty of Skillshare. Like I could give you, I mean, just read through our NPS comments. Um, something like 15% of all of our NPS comments, both good and bad, use the word love. Um, so, I mean, we are just a, you know, a, a running anecdote of, um, of good, good vibes. I mean, I think for, for our teachers in particular, when, um, when things were really bleak in, you know, kind of May, June of last year, a lot of their, you know, a lot of our teachers, if not most of our teachers are freelancers, contractors, consultants. Um, they saw a lot of their traditional day job dry up. Uh, and so to have their Skillshare income to fall back on, and particularly given the growth that we saw and the, the you know, we, they saw their earnings rise as we saw our earnings rise because we pay out, you know, a set percentage of our revenue goes into a pool, which then they share based on their relative percentage of minutes watched. You know, hearing their stories of like, you saved me. Like, thank God I had my Skillshare classes and now I'm going to invest more in this and I'm going to create more content and I'm going to engage more with my students and um, you know, hearing those stories from the teachers was was great. I mean, yeah, I think we we hear a lot of stories about how we're helping students, but um, seeing the value that we could play for those teachers during a really tough time was uh, was really nice. And and so, um, all right. So on this kind of, um, yeah, I don't want to get stuck on this stuff, but I just curious as to now that you because you're like kind of front line with seeing these changes and um, you know how how people are educating themselves, how people are, you know, um, um, selling their services. What, what does the future kind of look like? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, and we've talked about this for a long time. This is one of the reasons why Michael, Marco uh, Karnjanapakor and our founder, you know, had the idea of Skillshare, just the idea of democratizing access to education and learning. Um, you know, and I think, you know, it's funny just seeing how ed tech has taken off. And it was an idea along with remote work that everyone was like, yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, but no one was really ready to go all in. Um, and, you know, like remote work, sure, you, you know, there's some things you got to change. And look, I'm dying for a good work trip. Don't get me wrong. Um, but it works. And you know, 30% of our team was remote before and now 100%. And I think we're just as effective, if not more so. And we'll do big company meetups once we can, once we can do so. But you know, along the same lines with education, look, it you know, it was really ugly in the spring, um, but it's kind of working. And you know, I think traditional education, particularly K through 12, I don't think it's the right for, but I mean, you look at the cost of college education, good lord. Um, you know, and I think we're all watching the Coursera IPO um, to see how they do, but like, it's just a, it's a model whose time is long overdue. And so whether it's, you know, our version of online learning, which is, could be personal, could be professional, but, you know, it's really about that creative fulfillment and that creative spark or Coursera's version, which is kind of the, you know, what's the online replacement for what has become a just very expensive old school secondary education model um you know i it's it's fun to see all of the interest in a model that i think will help a lot of people if we can get a couple things get a couple things right so and then do you think we're kind of you know um 
moving more towards a biz, you know, like a society that's, um, geez, I'm going deep as I'm saying this, <laughs> that, is, that is now like just, um, you know, moving towards projects of passion and, and, and a, you know, a career that like, you know, thing doing something that they love is that is I mean I guess that's kind of the part of the mission Skillshare right empowerment yeah right? and and I think it's a trend that we've seen for a while I mean you know the the millennial generation in particular is more driven than what we've seen historically by mission and vision and values um, and I actually you know I think about the advantage we have in recruiting like and and I I'm very blunt with with candidates and with employees. Every single person on our team can walk down the street and make more money at Google, Facebook, Spotify, you name it. Um, so what is going to keep you here? Because I can never keep up with them in terms of just cash in your pocket. Um, and so we, you know, and, and one of the things we rolled out kind of along those lines, we don't negotiate our starting salaries. There is a set salary based on what level you are and what role you're coming into. And we do not negotiate. We try to set those salaries somewhere that is um, competitive. We try to land in kind of the 50 to 75th percentile for companies our size and stage, but we're not going to negotiate because that's not part of your job description. And so that forces us to sell things like the vision, the mission, the values, the culture, the working model. Like, you know, we treat people like grownups. I'm not going to track your vacation time. Do what you need to do. And so I think it's that... Um, focus on not just it's not just a job and it's not just what you're getting paid and it's just not the not the name recognition of the company that you work for what do you actually do every day and does it matter um and it's been a huge advantage for us in recruiting and i look at the team that we've built and i'd put our team up against anyone um so i i think we've been moving that direction for a long time i think the pandemic has accelerated that by years um and I, you know, again, I think we're well positioned both in terms of the market that we play in, but also the way we run our business. And then how do you like, um, do you come up against, well, I guess, how do you stay focused on, um, you know, um, you know, prioritize everything, you know, every direction you could go. Um, and I guess it's kind of amplified by the fact that you've got all these like a super, probably a super creative team with a lot of ideas. Um, how do you how do you kind of stay on track with it all? Yeah, that that's a uh, that is hands down the number one challenge for Skillshare. Um, and again, it's it, it's a high class problem. We've yeah. got a much longer list of things we want to do than we have time and resources to do them. Even you know even after our fundraise last year. So you know, and I think. I like us being a little headcount constrained. Um, you know, I think it just, there's a, when you're a little resource constrained, there's a Darwinian nature of what you work on and why that is really healthy. Um, and I think you see a lot of growth companies who have more, um, more resources than they know what to do with. You tend to run off in lots of different directions and, you, and you're not focused enough. And again, I think if you pulled well, I know for a fact, because I've asked, if you pulled our team, they'd say we're doing too much, you know, so it's, there's always a balancing act of, you want to push hard, we've got a ton of opportunity, we see what, you know, what lies ahead of us, and we want to get it all done tomorrow. Um, 
we're very busy. We're, you know, we are definitely stretched, but there's still a long list of things that we can't even get to. So, you know, I I wish I had a good answer for you on on the right way to do it. We're still working on it. Um, But uh, I would certainly take that over uh, too many resources and not enough to do. Or no idea where to take this platform, (laughs) you know. Um, So, okay. So then, um, what what's kind of next for Skillshare, and I guess uh, more specifically, your role, and how does it kind of how does you know scaling a global business look in this new world of of remote and so on? Just curious to see what kind of challenges are are coming up. Yeah, I mean, you know, when I look at sort of for for Skillshare as a business, I mean, we the growth vectors that that we see ahead, international is a big one. I mean, we've always been an international platform, about half of all of our paid users are outside the US, um, about two thirds of all new starts coming in are outside the US, uh, but we really haven't built the product, the payments, the pricing, um, the marketing around an international audience. It, it has come in more or less organically. We've had no dedicated international marketing ever. Um, so that's a huge opportunity for us. The fish are jumping in the boat we're just not doing a good enough job of catching them and keeping them. Um, enterprise is an interesting one for us. We've had, as our consumer brand has grown, we've seen a lot of inbound demand from uh, enterprises. You know, and it's a combination of looking at us as traditional learning and development, but also looking looking at us as a perk and a benefit. Um, again, in this in this new world, when you can't have happy hour in the office or the coffee bar, what perks and benefits can you give your employees? that again, it's about their whole selves. It's about stress relief, anxiety relief. It's not gonna make you a better accountant, but it might make you a, a better person and a happier person. Um, so we've seen a lot of interest uh, in terms of just enterprise sales, partnerships, um, you know, as our brand has gotten better and our reach and our community have gotten stronger. Um, we've had a lot of inbound interest in you know, how do we bring that creative expertise and that creative community to bear. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of really interesting sort of business uh, opportunity sources, growing our brand in general. I mean, we're still small in many ways, and we still don't have the brand recognition that I think we should have. And, and as we think about creative, I don't want the creative definition to be people who do watercolor in the park while wearing a beret. Um, you know, I want it to be much more expansive around it is cooking and it is culinary and it is interior decorating. It, it's music. Um you know, so if you have ever picked up a crayon, you're part of our target market. Um, and so that's, you know, as we think about our brand and our positioning, how do we create a much more expansive view of what it means to be creative? Because if you are human, you are creative. Um, so that, you know, for us as a business, those are some of the things swirling about. Um, in terms of how we run, I mean, we're still transitioning to being a remote first culture. And I think we've done a pretty good job but we still have work to do. And then, all right, once we can actually go meet in person, what does that look like? Because I do want to do big company-wide get-togethers twice a year. And, you know, we may not get a shred of work done when we do it, but let's build the connections and build the relationships and recharge and celebrate the wins and think about the challenges and all that. So, I, you know, I think there's still a lot of evolution in terms of just how we run Skillshare as a business um, that we're kind of feeling out as we go like a lot of companies and and then so how do you kind of um you know it kind of i think it's kind of segues pretty good but um community 
right? And um, the importance of community, um, I guess, that you have now, and then how you kind of foster that on, on a local level as you, as you scale out. Can you just talk about, um, yeah, I guess your community strategy and how that's kind of, it seems like it's, in, you know, an important part of the business. Yeah, yeah, it's something we've really, we've always tried to emphasize. And yeah, I think I want our members to think of themselves as members and not subscribers, right? You, you know, if you go away on a long vacation, you might cancel your Netflix subscription because you just know you're not going to get to it till you get back. You don't cancel your community associations, right? Um, so I think for you know, but for us as a business, you know, any subscription business is driven by its retention. Um, I think having a tight, emotional, value-added community connection to Skillshare is going to drive outsized business results over time. But I also think it delivers a value that's really hard to find elsewhere. And, and that's something that, you know, when we talk to teachers and students, I, I have our operations team set up one-on-ones with teachers and students for me. Um, and that's something that and I'm very happy to hear consistently coming from them. They talk about the Skillshare community. They don't talk about the Skillshare subscription. And we've been very deliberate to build that over time. Um, and we are going to continue to invest in that. And, you know, the right now, a lot of the community interaction happens around uh, projects. So again, I take the class, I complete the project, I upload it, I get feedback from the Skillshare community. Um, and I think the fact that we are a paid platform, you cannot participate in Skillshare unless you are paying us. It is the nicest, most positive, affirmative, bright, well-lit, clean corner of the internet that you're gonna find. Um, you know, you can go be a jerk for free somewhere else. Um, people don't, we just don't get the nastiness and the trolling that you get on a lot of other open platforms. So um, we are very protective of that dynamic. That is something we're going to continue to build into. Uh, around COVID, we launched live sessions and like watching 50 people attend a live session, do the project along with the teacher and then hold up their work at the end and everybody's clapping and feels really good about what they produced. It's just those kinds of community moments are really valuable and I think really um, sort of burn us into the memory of our users and, and make us more than just a, a subscription plan that they do on a rainy day. All right, that's awesome, uh, Matt. Thank you. Um, I'll end it there. I'm mindful of your time. Uh, thank you very much for joining uh, joining us today. And yeah, love love hearing Skillshare. It's kind of um, it's nice to see you know um, you know talk to the CEO and it's just everything that you're. Uh, talking about is is well aligned with the brand and 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 my personal experience with it if you're not that's on great. skillshare yeah jump on it and um thanks again yeah thanks chris appreciate appreciate it thank you for tuning in to keep up to date with all things startup grind visit us at startupgrind.com or join us at any event in a city near you until next time chase the vision and keep hustling